0: Well, it's that time again, everyone. I'm Matt Lachlan, along with
1: Amanda Stein.
0: And it is time for Speak of the Devils, our podcast treat. I love doing it. I hope everyone loves listening to it. And boy, we've had some really interesting guests. We talked to alums. We talked to present-day Devils personnel. And some of the alums a little longer uh, in terms of their connection with the Devils or stopped playing a longer time ago. But now we got a couple of guys a little more recently part of the devil's family today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we're really excited about this podcast because it's a double billing. We've got two guests for you this week. Uh, Very recent Devils who are now no longer playing in the NHL. Both have decided to retire. And of course, that would be Drew Stafford and Ben Lovejoy, who both have very young families who are trying to figure out what they want to do with the rest of their lives. Because I think sometimes we forget you know, these are people who From a very, very young age, you know, from the time they're eight, nine, they're playing hockey, and then you hit your mid-30s, you're done with what you've known your whole life, but you still have your whole life ahead of you. Mm -hmm. It must be a very bizarre kind of moment in time.
0: Oh, it is, and we will delve into that with both of them. Interesting. I won't say they're on opposite ends of the spectrum, but one's a forward, one's a defenseman. One was a first round draft pick. One was an undrafted guy who was able to carve out a career. And so their perspectives are a little different, but now they're Mm -hmm. in the same boat. And so it is time to welcome our guests to the show. We're going to do it in two parts, spending some time with Drew Stafford first, and then moving on to uh, Ben Lovejoy. And you know, we didn't exactly start things off with Drew, though, on the hockey side as we go to our podcast guests. Right Drew Stafford, it's uh, such a joy to spend some time with you. Thank you very much for giving us a few moments today.
2: Uh, thanks for having me, guys.
0: Always a pleasure. I, this podcast, as Amanda knows, and anyone who's listened to it knows, Doesn't always focus on hockey. We'd like to find out more about our guests and we kind of go off that hockey highway a little bit. And we're gonna start right at the beginning. Tell me a little bit about Red Seal Peach. (laughs) Huh, yeah. Uh, I didn't realize you were gonna have to take a <laughs> big golf of think, a drink. I, I didn't know that we were going there, but okay. oh uh, you know, hey,
2: great start, man. This is great.
1: Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say like way to go. Hit it right <laughs> out of the park, there, a, Maddie.
2: What a, what a great idea. <laughs> uh so that was just a uh that was a, a band, I guess, uh for lack of a better word, when I was in college with uh uh Jordy Parisi and um uh a couple other guys we were just messing around, but me and me and George just kind of a little bit of as, as a joke, but uh, yeah, nothing uh, nothing too crazy about that. We were, uh, I mean, North Dakota, minus 40, long winters, not much else going on. So yeah, good times.
0: <laughs> well, it was a short <laughs> time that's, that's,
2: gi- that's all I'm giving you, bud. <laughs> and that's,
0: that's fair enough. So uh, I didn't realize you were a musician. Yeah. Uh, what do you play? What instrument do you play?
2: Uh, so I started playing drums when I was about six. Um and uh, picked up a guitar probably when I was around twelve or so, just messing around with uh, school bands and all that. And um, yeah, I was something that growing up I loved doing. And um, I, uh, as I got older, and then obviously through high school, college, and then the pro level, was actually one of the coolest parts about um, playing hockey is that there's a lot of musicians that are hockey fans. So I got to meet quite a few guys like uh more in the like hard rock kind of metal heavier scene that I kind of that's the type of stuff that I like playing and um uh had a great time I met a lot of really good guys got to go to a bunch of shows and uh especially during the summertime when we had a lot more time so yeah music's a big part of my life
1: to you who was the coolest or you know most starstruck you you would have met uh through your journey with music
2: um well uh there's a handful of bands um in buffalo i'd say um there's a band from uh, buffalo uh, every time i die and uh they are um i became really close with uh, all those guys and they're kind of like a gateway to meeting a lot of other bands um in that kind of a scene um that uh you know, like I said, a lot of people don't really know some of these <laughs> bands, but like, I don't know, to me it was really cool because I grew up listening to a lot of those guys and especially in high school and, uh, you know, it was it was really neat, uh, especially like, um, you know, Unearth, uh, Mastodon, Killswitch Engage, some of these bands and that kind of a scene, uh, meeting a lot of those guys came really close with them. So, um to good, good dudes and uh, had a lot of fun like I said getting a little bit of a break from the hockey stuff in the summertime. I was able to you know go to a bunch of tours uh, you know work tour back when there was a work tour. It was a pretty, pretty fun time.
0: By the way, those bands are on my Spotify playlist so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah I know
3: totally. only like, uh,
2: mixed in with the, uh, the adult contemporary soft rock. But,
0: but I will you say this. this You're more you a
2: jazz guy man. I can i
0: <laughs> but I will I will take this opportunity to give a shout out to the college radio station that I got my started and and back in the day it was a little more well-rounded, but now it is all heavy. Uh, it's yeah. all metal music. W S O U F M, Seton Hall okay. University. It's made a yeah, it's made a it's made a name for itself uh, by turning toward that genre. It's been around right since they've done it. So it's all good. So what kind of t- like when you went on like a working tour, did, did you have a gig? Like were you, were you
2: like- No, no, gigs? no, no. So, so-, so the only time, a band. Yeah, no, as, I'll just give you an example. So a work tour um, was one I mentioned uh, and the band, um, every time I die, uh, I met them in Chicago because I was hanging out with some buddies in Chicago, went to the show there, got to hang out, you know, backstage, kind of see how everything- went on, watched all the shows from, from the stage and met a whole slew of different bands and people. I mean, it's those, those kind of scenes, those summer festivals, it's, it's very similar to, I'd say our profession with being a hockey player where you're on the road a lot and you have your buddies that are maybe on different teams. So it'd be like, you know, you go to a road city, you go to dinner with, you know, your buddies that are on different teams, but then, you know, you have to go perform. Like there's kind of a, Uh, a little bit of a fraternity with it where they have, you know, they're excited to tour with other bands because they have their friends and then maybe some other bands that they're not, you know, excited to (laughs) be around. But I got to see like the friendships and the relationships like behind the scenes, how it's almost like, you know, they're on the road all the time. So it sucks being away from family and stuff, but at the same time you get to have a blast with your buddies. So anyway, so I went to that festival and then uh, jumped on the bus and just, rode the bus back with them uh, to here and um, then went to the show here and and all that. So I kind of got to see how it worked behind the scenes a little bit. So that was pretty cool. I mean, it's not like I was like, you know, teching for the guitarist or something like that or like, you know, helping out with, you know, the mix or whatever. So I was literally just a fly on the wall. So it was kind of neat.
1: So how different was that bus ride Compared to you know our bus rides to Newark Airport yeah. or wherever we were going.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was a little. It was a little different. We'll just leave it at that. Can't give you much else.
1: <laughs> but but when you when it comes to you know these artists, did they sort of were they as curious about your profession and want to come see games and stuff like that? Was oh it yeah. reciprocal? No,
2: one hundred percent. Like you know we we kind of joked about it all the time, like um, how you know, I, yeah, I played in NHL, like, I, I, that's what I did as a job, but that wasn't necessarily, like, who I was as a person, like, I don't, like, carry that as, like, my identity, so I was just a big fan of the music, and I could play the instruments, and I play the songs, and, like, I grew up, and so I was just fascinated with that, and all they want to talk about was hockey, (laughs) so I was, like, I mean, it's cool, I don't mind talking about hockey, of course, like, you know, I'll answer whatever questions they want to answer, but they were more, like, people say, like, you know, people want to be rock stars or whatever. Well, rock stars want to be athletes. So it's yeah. like, you know, they would say that all the time. And I'm like, I mean, I don't know. All you guys had a pretty good gig here and stuff. I mean, but um, yeah, so there's definitely that like flip-flop for sure,
0: 100%. We'll turn a little bit toward the hockey side now, although I'm fascinated by the music uh, side yeah. of, of your life. Uh, but what's life been like for you and, and the family since – and you decided to retire.
2: Well, I mean, I have uh, time to be a dad now. I have time to be, uh, you know, husband and family man, and uh, you know, I love it. I mean, sprinkling some uh, coronavirus here in the in the spring, and I guess in the winter, I guess you know, kind of changes a lot of things, puts uh, some travel plans on a little bit of a pause. Um, you know, I was looking forward to you know, going away with Hallie on, you know, like ski trip or something. We had something booked in March and I was going to go like on my first, like, you know, big, like golf trip too. Like I was like getting like set and ready to go. And then, you know, the travel ban came on and it's just like, okay, do I want to be stuck somewhere in case something happens with this? So then we just kind of, you know, you know, had a little bit of a bunker mentality with the family. And um, so yeah, for my first like summer off of like training and all that <laughs> stuff, it's been twenty twenty has been it's been a year. So, um, but I wouldn't trade it for anything because, like I said, I get to be around the kids, and um, you know, I get to see uh, be a part of things that I didn't have a chance to be a part of. Um, you know, the last last few years. And I'll just say too, like, if I tried to, like, you know, I went to camp in in mini here. It was nice to get a chance to, you know, possibly squeeze out another year. And, um, you know, after I got released, um, I was thinking to myself, well, if this was my technically my last year and here we are, like the season gets canceled or like put on pause and all, all of a sudden I'm in limbo again. Um, you know, and then having to go to the bubble and that stuff. I mean, as much as I, I miss the game. I miss the boys. I miss that side of it. Um, the travel, the grind, the business side, I I don't miss hundred percent. So, um, I would say my timing, I guess was, was, was pretty good, you know, even, you know, without the the Corona stuff, but yeah, uh, I felt for those guys that, that were, had to go back, you know, go back into the bubble spend. I mean, the guys that are going to be in the finals here, they're in the, a hotel room in Edmonton for like four months, like away from their family. Yeah. So I, I don't miss that.
1: You mentioned your kids and how you're enjoying being, you know, a dad around all the time. You have young kids. How are they enjoying or do you notice them am noticing a difference that you're around all the time? I know they're little, but still, it has to be different.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, they, they love it. I mean, I, I, uh, is such a unique time of course for everybody right Right. because you know everything's been put on hold there's different ways like you know now that school's starting back up right like everyone was so used to the same routine of um summer camps and summer classes for their kids and you know and that and we didn't have any of that everything got canceled so it's like we had to figure out ways to pass the time with them and um you know i think it 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 helped us a get a little bit closer as a family as yep. well. And, um, I think they do for sure. Especially my oldest now, uh, going into, kid, he'll be six in January. So he's like right at that age where this was his first summer. We were going to like try to get him ready for different activities and some sports, see if he likes, you know, if he's into anything. And, um, I've had a chance now to, you know, tennis, golf, like, you know, all this stuff with him, like the summer stuff, the swimming, like, uh, I'm there for all of it. So it's been awesome. Um, got him signed up for, uh, like termites, like the hockey, uh, little little guys, (laughs) like guys, they can't even stand up. It's hilarious. (laughs) Um, so we got that going on and then, you know, we'll see what happens with the school stuff, but yeah, I think my oldest for sure, uh, for sure notices.
0: Do you think he'll be a hockey player? I mean, you grew up uh, the son of a hockey player. Yeah. Uh, your uncle was in the game for a long time as the equipment manager of Edmonton. Yes. hockey destined for his future?
2: If he wants to play, he can play. If he loves doing it, sweet. You know, I'm I'm not uh, in any position to, to push him into anything he doesn't want to do. I mean, I, um, I honestly keep an eye on Mila, my daughter. She's like... <laughs> She's nuts. She's uh she took to skating like like the first time I had her, I mean they're only three and a half, but you know, we put the little skates on them, had them out there and this last winter, and she like immediately was like into it and had her balance, and I was like, you know, all right. Um and uh my dad actually runs the girls' hockey program at Shattuck, he's been there for 15 years now and Um, so he has had the girls hockey. I'm like, all right, maybe keep an eye on, uh, on Mila here maybe, but, um, yeah, all three of them, you know, whatever they want to do, if they, uh, you know, any sort of activity like that, any sort of sport, you know, I just want them to enjoy it and have fun, uh, be with their buddies. Um, if they're good, they're good. If not, you know, just like I said, just want them to have fun.
1: What do you miss most from the game yourself?
2: Uh, I would say just the being around the guys, uh, that the family on that aspect of it, you know, I talked a lot of, obviously about my, my wife and kids and that family at home. But I mean, you, you build relationships with guys, you're in the muck with them all the time. You're in the grind and, you know, I, I miss the, uh, I miss the road trips, the locker room, you know, the, the dinners and, you know, that kind of stuff, because, uh, you're in a routine, right. You're, you're constantly yeah. in the same thing. You're getting, you know pampered pretty much 24 seven with everything, you know, we're, we're all just a bunch of giant man babies. So it's like you get that and all of a sudden it's gone. Right. Like, um, so yeah, I, I definitely miss that probably the most, um, uh, playoff time. I mean, even though this playoffs is, is unique, you know, that time of year, um, you know, you kind of get that little bit of a, a, a jolt, I guess, of, uh, you know, kind of wishing you were, you were out there. Um, same with like right around now, you know, training camp would have been yeah. getting started up on a normal time. So it's like my body, like I said, this is my first like summer of like not having to, like 20 years of not like, <laughs> you know, be like on a clock for yeah. training or whatever. And, uh, yeah, it's weird. Cause now I'm like, I'm like, I can kind of feel like I should, I should be like getting ready to like pack up the house and go, you know, out East or wherever and, you know, and getting ready for camp. So, yeah, it's, it's a little weird on that aspect, but, um, yeah, I, I, I think I miss, uh, I miss the, the camaraderie of the boys probably the most.
1: You mentioned, you know, it's so you you finish your career and then all of a sudden you're trying to fill your time and do all these things. Was there a moment for you after you announced your retirement where it really hit you that you weren't part of the game, like you weren't playing the game anymore? Because sure, the first maybe couple of weeks might just be, you know, excitement of not having to do anything. But was there a specific moment for you?
2: Um, I wouldn't say... uh I would say this fall, um, just because I was at home, like I didn't have, yeah. I almost flip it. That the fact that I didn't have to like pack up our house, pack up the kids, the dog, everything and have to move, find a rental, mm-hmm. find a, this, all of that stuff that went into like the last few years of my career with, you know, guys that, you know, have the yeah. contracts and then you're going up and down the, the two way stuff. I mean, it's, it's so hard. It's a grind, right? I didn't have to do any of that. So it was like, almost like, Oh, wow. I get a chance to play at home. This is incredible. What a, what a joke this is like, (laughs) you know? um, So I think the fact that when I got released uh, that I was at home Mm -hmm. um, as sad and, and, you know, yeah, it was tough, but I would say if I had to, if I moved the family out somewhere or we did all of that and I was like trying to chase after it somewhere and then that happened, I think it would have been a bit more of a, um, you know, gut punch, but, uh, yeah, I, I trained all last summer, give it a shot. I laid it out there. I did my best and I got a great opportunity. Billy Guerin gave me a great shot to come here. Um, I knew all the guys on the team here, like, you know, I skated with them. So it was like a perfect kind of fit and, you know, business side of it doesn't work out. It doesn't work out. And honestly, um, if I hadn't have at least tried, then I would have kicked myself, but I gave it all I got. The timing was the timing. So I think, yeah, I was, I was ready, especially with, like I said, the way my, my kids and the family stuff mm-hmm. is, uh, You know that's the most important thing
0: to me. Sounds like you've made peace with it, but was there still a a bit of a shock? Uh, You know, I mean, maybe as your career was winding down, and you mentioned the one-year contracts, you could kind of see it coming. But when the finality hits, what's that like?
2: Yeah, so you made a good point there. As far as like, I would say when I went the first year I signed in Jersey, right? So I was a late signing summertime kind of deal I went from a certain level uh you know to a lower level as far as like uh value and uh, what my role would be and this and that um and that wasn't a gradual like decline like I went straight off a cliff almost as far as like holy crap like nobody wants to sign me like what is Mm -hmm. you're used to getting offers and attention and this and that all of a sudden it's just, it's gone. Right. So you have to like, you have to adapt or change yourself. Like if you want to keep playing, like, well, how do you stay in the league? How do you stay relevant? How do you, um, you know, so whatever I had to, I had to find a way. And, um, I think going through that process of almost like reinventing myself and trying to like, I don't want to say survive a couple more years, but like, you have to adapt or else the league, the league doesn't wait for anybody. You know, they want, there's always guys coming in to take spots and what have you. So you have to battle. Right. So I think I went through that a couple years, uh, before. And once I got released after the wild camp, I think I was kind of ready for that transition. So that going through that first kind of change at the end of my career, uh, helped a lot, but Yeah, I would say once the, uh, the season started last fall and I, you know, I'm not there and still talking to the guys, you know, they're going on the, getting ready to go on the road trip or whatever. Um, yeah, I'd say that would probably be the first time it was like, okay, it's, uh, it's, it's over, but, um, you know, had I supported my, my, my wife and my family and my friends and, you know, even with myself too, it's, uh, it was, I was ready. You
1: mentioned that you were getting ready to go on some trips or do some traveling, um, golfing and all that. I, mean, where, yeah. where were you planning on going and what yeah. do you hope to be able to do with that time when we're able to travel again?
2: Yeah. Um, so we actually were in the Bahamas of like a week before, uh, we got back like March 2nd or something. So it was like literally a week before, um, there was all the, the, travel restrictions and all that. So it's like, yeah. man, I can't imagine if we were stuck with the kiddos and all this stuff with that. Um, I was just going to go to Scottsdale with some buddies um, for golf. I was going to go uh, with Hallie and I were going to either go to um, uh, like uh, either, where are we going to go? like Park city or big sky or something, just either Montana. I want to go up to Banff again. I have family up in Banff, Alberta. Um, you know, that'd be more for a ski, stuff um yeah all that got uh all that got gas because of corona so I mean I think now through the fall probably depending on what happens with schools if they go to distance learning like for a five-year-old like distance learning on for I don't understand we'll probably end up trying to maybe go somewhere um you know somewhere warm uh in the winter and then obviously try to maybe go like I said try to do that ski trip somewhere hopefully uh you know Montana or something
1: were you able to ski like during your career? Cause obviously you're yeah. very busy oh. in the winter time. And like, when was the last time you yeah. went skiing?
2: Yeah. So, so my dad is from Banff, Alberta, like I mentioned. Um, so I grew up going there all the time and, uh, I used to ski all the time when I was younger until I was about 13. And then I, I had to cut that out just cause of obvious reasons. And I, I mean, <clears throat> I knew a bunch of guys that did, they went skiing. Like, I mean, especially the guys like you know i live uh in those kind of areas. Yeah. Um you know guys did I just I didn't never I never went down that uh I never tried you know whatever I don't want to, I don't want to mess around with it. You know it's like the last thing I need is like all of a sudden all star break. It's like yeah it's ski, like whatever I've been veil or something like that. I just break your leg shred, shred my knees like you know <laughs> that's why what happens yeah I, I don't know. So yeah I uh I'm looking forward to it because like I said, I used to used to do it all the time and my wife loves, uh, loves skiing too, so that'll be fun. So now you have a chance to do all that. What
0: was your career all about? What was the best part? What What do you take out of it? I mean, you talked about the guys and the trips and I get that, but in terms of what you were able to accomplish on the ice, what are you most proud of?
2: Um, I would say my ability to uh, adapt as I got older, I guess, in a way. Um, Uh, because I, I got, like I said, I I went through some bad concussion issues, um, in Winnipeg, um, before I got traded to Boston. And that was a real turning point in my career where I went through quite a bit of, uh, mental, uh, health issues. Um, a lot of it tied into concussion issues, um, that, uh, thankfully got addressed. Uh, and I was able to carve out, uh, a few more years. Um, and, uh, I would say that, uh, and I mean, I was in Buffalo for about nine years. I mean, we never won. Uh, we were close. We had some great teams, um, earlier on in my career. Um, you know, a little bit of longevity there, I would say being in one spot for nine years. Um, but I wish... <laughs> Obviously, I wish we would have, you know, been more successful, especially at the end. It got really ugly uh, before I got traded uh, to Winnipeg uh, from Buffalo, unfortunately, because that city uh, deserves uh, deserves a winner. I mean, if the Bills would have just won one time <laughs> out of those four, <laughs> would have t- taken the burden off the, uh, the Sabres a little bit. But, um, yeah, I would say... Uh, you know, I was proud to have a little bit of longevity there in one spot and then, you know, hitting that crossroads, uh, in Winnipeg, dealing with a lot of the, the mental health stuff and, uh, concussion stuff, uh, to be able to kind of come out of the other side of that, um, you know, put together and, uh, I'm here now, I'm healthy, body feels good, brain feels good. So at the end of the day, that's, uh, that's a huge thing. Cause I can, you know. I can be with my family. I can be with my kids. And I don't have any, any lingering issues with that. So I would say that's uh, that's another one, I guess, the way that I kind of took care of my body and, and I was on top of things uh, that way for sure. Cause it's fortunate to play a long time, but at the end of the day, it's a, it's a sliver in my life. You know, I have a long time here to, to, to watch my kids grow up and be a part of that. So that's more important to me.
1: You mentioned your time in Buffalo and obviously that coincided with Lindy Ruff as your coach, who is now the coach yeah. of the Devils. Oh yeah. Um, and so, you know, Lindy, you know, yeah. most of the guys in the Devils locker room. So I just oh. want to, you know, get your thoughts on who he was as a coach and how you think that that might mesh, even though he might be slightly different seeing as yeah. later.
2: Yeah. So I think uh, based on what I've heard, I mean, it, it's been a long time, of course. I mean, he's been around a really long time, had a very successful coaching career. And um, I think in Buffalo, it was a little bit different than maybe how he was in Dallas, you know, and how he was as an assistant um, in New York. And um, so, yeah, it's been a really long time since I've talked to him as far as like, or, you know, been around him besides in passing. So yeah. um, I honestly couldn't tell you. I I, I don't know. I mean, we, we, we've been we've been through the ringer together, uh, good and bad. Um, <laughs> let's just say young staff, uh, maybe didn't get along with him <laughs> a couple times, uh, back when, Hey, you know, but when you're 20 years old and have no idea yeah. what you're doing, you know, I, I deserved, uh, probably everything I got, but, um, you know, I hope he does great. I know they just picked up a uh, too. So, mm-hmm. Um, I think that's going to be uh, a great tandem for them. Um, you know, as, as far as additions, uh, go and, uh, yeah, we'll see. I can't, um, it's been, like I said, it's been such a long time, but, um, you know, I, I think a guy like, you know, Travis, who, you know, is with Greeny gone. <laughs>
3: <laughs> He's the old man now. He's the old man.
2: So yeah. I think, uh, Lindy, Lindy can, uh, you know, lean on him. <laughs> lean on a guy like that a little bit for, you know, kind of bridging the gap between the younger guys because the league has gotten so young and, yeah. you know, the, if you're looking at, you know, Nico and, and Jack as kind of the future of the team, you know, you're going to need that, uh, that gap with someone like Lindy that's been around for so long and has seen so many different types of teams. And yeah, um, so, yeah, I mean, I wish, uh, wish you guys luck. It'll be <laughs> fun to watch how uh, how it goes. It's a big change.
1: What's your favorite memory or maybe most impactful memory from your time in Jersey?
2: Making the playoffs. Yeah. Being part of that run there. And, uh, you know, everybody counted us out. I mean, everyone counted us out. And uh, we pulled it together. And, you know, obviously ran into a little bit of a buzzsaw there at Tampa. But, you um, Yeah. The fight and the guy, the fight that we had during the stretch there to make it right. Like, and that's what it's all about. I mean, at the end of the day, like no one's going to help you out. You got to do it yourself. And we came together as a group, I think. And, um, uh, I think that was, uh, yeah, that was a blast, especially, you know, anytime you can make the playoffs is huge. But, uh, I think with that group, especially kind of coming together and, and getting it done, that was, uh, that was really cool. Um, but, uh, yeah, that would probably be my favorite.
0: That kind of a run going to the playoffs, yeah. that solidifies a bond that just a regular season doesn't really have. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why
2: you play. I mean, you you uh, when you're on a team and you're part of a group that uh, you go through these uh, the regular season, you get to the playoffs, and say if you lose out in the conference finals or you make it that far, you lose in the finals, and it makes you realize how – how useless the season is in a sense where it's like, I don't say useless, but like you want to make the playoffs to be able to, to, to win. Right. That's how, that's why you play. It's like, yeah, you can have a great regular season, but if you don't make the playoffs, like, okay, like we're done in April again. So it's miserable. Like it's the, it's just miserable because it's another wasted opportunity It's a wasted year kind of thing. It's like, not sound bitter or anything like that, but make, not making the playoffs is just, the worst thing. So, um, when you do go on those stretch runs where you s- just sneak in, or you, um, you know, you build that chemistry and I guess that camaraderie that you can build and, and take that momentum into the playoffs. I mean, I think a good example was a few years back, uh, LA. Like they were at eighth seed. Yeah. I think the year that they won, and they were just they were hot when they came in, and it's like you look at last year with Tampa, I think they were, you know, killed no, everyone, yeah. but you know, they, they take they had all that time. They were, they won the president's trophy in like December, you know, but like <laughs> at the end of the day, they didn't get it. They didn't get it done. I mean, who's, you know, they might get it done this, uh, this, uh, this fall here, I guess in these playoffs, but um, yeah, I would say for sure that uh, if you go on a stretch run, like that, like we did that year when we made it. I mean, it builds, builds huge chemistry, builds a bond that you can carry over for sure.
0: Well, Drew, thanks very much for sharing your time with us. Uh, I guess we threw a little curveball there with the musical start, but it was fascinating to to delve into that part of your personality and your life. Uh, What's on your playlist right now?
2: I mean, well, besides the uh, the smooth jazz we talked about, <laughs> yeah, you, you exactly. sent me, you me your playlist last week, so I'll have to, uh, I'll have to reciprocate that. So yeah. come on next uh, next week, fair we enough. To, yeah, a little bit, a little bit of lo-fi beats that you like, some atmospheric stuff when you 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 do your meditation that you showed me uh, the other day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Fair enough. Well, thanks for sharing your time. It's been a blast, man. Thanks, yeah. Drew.
2: Thanks, guys. Good to see you.
0: So, uh, a man of Many different tastes. I didn't realize when he was playing with the devils how much music played a part in Drew Stafford's life.
1: Absolutely. And I feel like when I started asking the question about how different those bus rides were, whether he was traveling, you know, with his music guys or on the devil's bus or what have you, I knew I was reaching Um, a territory he might not be able to delve into. (laughs) But yeah, you know, know, it's funny because it made me think, you know, of all the pictures we've seen recently of players going into the NHL bubbles, which was in Toronto and now just in Edmonton. So many guys brought guitars with them. I don't know if you noticed that. Like Mm -hmm. so many guys have guitars and it seems to be an outlet that a lot, like music seems to be an outlet that a lot of hockey players have. And so- Um, I don't know if Drew would have brought his drum set (laughs) or been able to, but uh, certainly the two seem to be quite tied together.
0: You know what? And and I wonder if studies have been done about that, about how the brain functions Mm -hmm. for both an athlete and a musician, and if there are any similarities, because... You know, he's absolutely right. I've heard that a thousand times. Athletes want to be musicians, musicians want to be athletes. be athletes. But they share a stage, they share a public persona. And if you get to the top levels, you're among the best in your business. In and so
2: yeah,
0: yeah you so you, you share that too. So uh any anyway, an interesting chat with uh Drew Stafford. Now Ben Lovejoy is getting used to life. Uh again, as you mentioned earlier, a young family, uh and Ben's got a situation where, you know, he's always... Drew is thoughtful. Uh, I didn't know him as well as I got to know Ben. Yeah. But Ben Lovejoy, like Drew, you ask a question, boy, you're going to get you're going get a detailed answer. No cliches, right? We'll find out about that. <laughs>
1: yeah, we'll definitely find out about that. And I was so excited when we had these set up by uh, Corinne Weltman. And essentially... <laughs> To me, it was like, these are two guys that I would go into the locker room, say like, you know, a bad game. Those are the two guys that you want to talk to, especially as a broadcaster or as a reporter, because they're going to give you the quote, the quote that everyone is searching for because they're introspective and they're honest. And when it comes to being introspective, I think Ben Lovejoy sort of takes the cake for sure.
0: So let's uh, welcome Ben Lovejoy to the show. So, Ben Lovejoy, it is very good to see you. Uh, It has been a bit. How has retirement treated you? Catch us up on what's keeping
4: you busy these days. Um, Good to see you, too. Um, Good to be back talking to you. Uh, Retirement's the best. Um, I love what I'm doing now. Um, Hockey was a childhood dream come true. It was the best job ever um, for it exceeded my wildest dreams but it was really hard and going to the rink every day and being prepared to play in an NHL game or preparing my body to play an NHL game was really hard for me and it's been pretty awesome to go to bed at 9 30 or 10 every night and not worry about um what I'm doing the next day where my workout's coming from what what I'm going to eat, um, what I need to do to to be ready to go when, when training camp starts. Um, I spent every minute, 365 days a year worrying about hockey. And I don't have to think about that anymore. And it's pretty awesome. What do you It sounds now? like,
1: sorry, I was going to say, it sounds like you were ready to make that decision. Was it hard or did you just know? Your body told you.
4: No, it was a, a very easy decision. Um, I when, when I signed in New Jersey, I was 32. Um, I signed a three-year contract and knew that, that, that was probably going to be it. Um, I would be a 35 year old defenseman who wasn't all that skilled to begin with. I, I played a very hard game, um, and thought that I would be done. Um, going into my, my third year in New Jersey, um, uh, again, um, No, I knew that that was probably my last year Um, come February. um, I I really, I really knew. Um, I, I'd I'd had very good conversations with Ray um, as the season had sort of gone off the rails and we weren't going to make the playoffs. And um, he asked if I wanted to be traded and I, I thought about it hard. I I really didn't want to be traded. Um, I, I, I knew I was done. Um, I wanted to finish my time in Jersey and, um, and, then, um, and then be done. Um, but I told Ray that, that he needed to do what was best for, for the New Jersey Devils and that if, if he needed to trade me, um, I, I'd be okay with that. And I was very lucky. Uh, Ray Shero traded me twice, once to Anaheim, once to Dallas. Um, he did not ship me to Antarctica. Um, so I,
1: warmer climate, I,
4: I, but, but I knew I was done. Um, I, I, I played really hard and gave it everything I had and, uh, was pumped to never do it again. If you could give us
0: a little insider, uh, is that conversation one where you get a message? Hey, the GM wants to see you in his office or is Ray just kind of breezing by the dressing room and says, uh, let me pull you aside and talk. A, you know, I think for the fans who are listening, you know, that kind of insight would be interesting. You don't have to give us the details of the conversation, but just the structure of how those things take place.
4: Um, that's a good question. It, it depends where you are in your career, where you are in your life, um, how long you've been, um, with a certain GM. Um, there are some guys who have no idea it's coming, um. I was traded three times um, in my career. The first time, I went from from Pittsburgh to to Anaheim, and um, quietly behind the scenes, I had asked for a trade uh, for a while. I, my agent, I and Ray, had had a, a dialogue. Um, I was a fifth, sixth, seventh defenseman, and was sort of in and out of the lineup. And hoped I could do more. Thought I could do more, but didn't know. And We told uh, I. I talked to Ray, and this was sort of my spot on the team. I was happy to be in the NHL, but but wanted a a fresh start. And um, I, I tell people um, the the way to go about getting traded in the NHL is not to not to go out in the media and demand a trade. Um, It's just not how things work. Um, For better or worse, we're a bunch of quiet guys who if you want something done properly you you do it the right way and we went to Ray and when the time came um, Ray could have sent me anywhere and he sent me to Newport Beach Um, and it was the best so uh, when I was traded back to Pittsburgh um, I had no idea it was coming Um, we we were in Phoenix um, at the practice rink the trade deadline was at 3 p.m. We waited till 3 p.m. We went on the ice uh, for practice. I got off the ice um, and checked my phone um, and had 47 text messages. And um, one of the text messages, the first one I read was from a restaurant owner in Pittsburgh, and it just had four little trophy emojis. (laughs) And I had no idea what he was talking about. Um, And ultimately figured it out. There were little Stanley cups and we didn't win the Stanley cup that year. Um, But that's how I. That's how I found out. I had no idea it was coming. I didn't want it to come. Um, and then the last time with Ray, I was a 35 year old defenseman and with a, a family and had been in New Jersey for a while. And he texted me and said, "Let's talk." And we sat down a couple of weeks before the trade deadline in Minnesota, actually. Um, and he asked sort of, what do you want to do? Uh, We're not going to make the playoffs. Do you want another shot at winning the Stanley cup? And do you, do you want to leave? Like, are you sick of this? And I told him he, he needed to do what was best for for him. What was best for the New Jersey Devils. I didn't want to leave. um, But, but I get it. And um, this wasn't a case of me just trying to go chase, chase another Stanley cup. Um, uh, I, I, I was content. I was happy. I really liked New Jersey. I really liked living there. I really liked being with my family. But um, if he could get a, a draft pick, then then he had to do that. And I understand the business of things. So that's how it went about. And I got traded to Dallas. And we lost in double overtime of game seven to the Blues. And I think that um, we were a better team for most of that series, but they were a much better team in game seven and they deserve it.
0: So what are you doing now to stay busy? And uh, you see uh, your your words and your the smile that we can see uh, because we're recording it over Zoom, but our listeners will only hear it, but the smile comes through your words. Uh, life is great. What's keeping you busy these days?
4: So I, I wanted to take a year off and figure out what I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to do some broadcasting. Uh, I did some for NBC. I'm not sure where that stands right now. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens going forward. But, um, and then I, I – so I did a little bit of that. And then I was a volunteer assistant coach for Dartmouth College. And um, Your alma mater, we should it mention, is. for those who and, don't know. And um, I live in the town Dartmouth is in right now uh, in Hanover, New Hampshire. And um, I was a volunteer assistant coach for them. I loved it. Um, but I'm not going to do that going forward. Um, the coach that, that I played for, that I have such an affinity for retired during the summer and there's a new guy and, um, he's, I, I I feel strongly that, that he doesn't need me around. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a big presence in the locker room and I will, it will always be something that I'm a part of, but, but not, I'm going to take a little step away from that too. Um, other than that, I'm I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. I'm trying to figure out what's next. Um, I am somebody that can't sit still. Um, I like having things to do. I like I like having a purpose. I like having a job. I, I I don't sleep very much. I'm up I'm up at far too early, ready to go. So I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do the rest of my life. And uh, to be quite honest, I, I haven't figured out exactly what that is yet. How did you enjoy the broadcasting element? I liked it. Um, it was very different. Um, I think I prefer—I shouldn't say that. I think I'm better if I can just you ask me a question and I can talk for days. Um, TV was was very different. You have the producers in your ear saying, "All right, talk for twenty more seconds. Finish your point perfectly, and and then we're going to move on to something else." And it's it's certainly a learned skill and. Um, I, I felt like there were a lot of valleys and a couple of peaks, and um, I started to feel more and more comfortable. Um, so we'll see if that's an option going forward. Um, I've I've been in touch with NBC, continue to talk to them, but um, I, I don't know if there will be a place there. So I don't know, we'll see. You're also a
1: dad to three young girls. So I'm wondering what it's been like the last year for you to be home, you know, not just for you, but for them to have dad home all the
4: time. I, I think it was very weird for them and my my wife at first. I, I think that I don't want to say they ever got sick of me. Um, I think I, I do genuinely believe that all four of them enjoy having me around all the time. But <laughs> but, but it, it was different. Um, I would be able to drive my kids to school and they didn't love that sometimes. like why isn't mom doing this this is something that mom does and um it's it's been really fun to be around um i coached kinder, a kindergarten girls soccer team last year um i, I have some high school <laughs> soccer experience and i don't know if that translated real well <laughs> but um it, it was fun we, we moved to a new town um a place that i grew up but they didn't know anyone and i was able to really get to know 20 little kindergarten girl soccer players. And I, am able to do things like that for the first time. Um, this year, I'm in charge of the learn to play program for the Hanover youth hockey. And it's four to eight year olds, um, kids that have never played hockey before. And they have, they have no idea who I am and it's pretty awesome. I'm Lila. and June's dad. And, um, uh, I am able to do things like that, that I've never done before. And that's been, been really special and, and also very different.
1: What, what is that like when you have four and six year olds that have never played before or, you know, gotten up on skates before, how big of a challenge is that?
4: Well, it's very different. And, um, it's, it's certainly a learned skill set, something that I, that I don't know exactly how to do. Um, we were, we had a clinic to start things off um, this summer. And um, they had sort of billed me as coming into coach. And I was tying like 30 pairs of skates. And one of, and this was on Wednesday. Uh, the, the clinic started on, on Monday. And I'd been there all week tying skates. And, and, and somebody, one of the older kids, it was like an eight-year-old boy asked like, um, did you play hockey? And I said, yeah, I, I did. I, 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 I did. He's like, who you, who'd you play for? So I, I told him who I played for. I was like the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Anaheim Ducks, and Jersey Devils and the Dallas Stars. And the kid goes, Oh, so you, you played with Ben Lovejoy. And I was like, so that was one conversation. And then the other one, um, one of the – I'm tying skates next to one of the, the women who's tying another kid's pair of skates. And the the girl asked the, the woman, um, when is Ben Lovejoy going to come? And, <laughs> <laughs> and it's the kid that I'm tying their skates. Like, when am I going to show? So it's been fun to be anonymous. And um, just uh, this this game gave me so much. Um, it, it, it really turned my life into – something very special um, and it's been really cool to, to give back and to be a part of things um, sort of at the youth grassroots level. Um, we were so, I was so blessed to play for so long and so many people helped me get to where I ultimately got to and it's been really cool to give back and, and be a part of things at, at the youth hockey level too. I love those
0: stories. I mean, your resume uh, speaks for itself a Stanley Cup championship, uh, a long NHL career. And yet, to those young kids, where is this guy, right? Like, it, it, for adults, you would walk into the room and there'd be like maybe a little elbow, like, oh, that's Ben Lovejoy. The kids are like, This guy's just, somebody's tying my skates. (laughs) When's Ben Ben Lovejoy showing up? I love it, I love it. You know, when you talk though about you're you're not sure, and I get that, I mean, you were so focused on a career. I think I read in one article uh, that you said, uh, and I forget when it was written, but at that point it was like for 33 of my 36 years on this planet, it's been hockey, and as you said earlier, 365 days a year. I don't want to say if it is it frightening, but I think there are a lot of people who are listening. Go, wow! If I could do anything in the world, it would be great. But now I'm locked into what I do. But I would think being able to do anything can equally be daunting because what is it that I want to do? I mean, I could be president of the United States. I could be a college hockey coach. I could go back to school and. Get another degree and be a professor so like how do you find that path what are you doing to try to explore different things to say all right this this might be the thing that interests me
4: that's a really good question and it's one that I certainly am, am struggling with and I don't have the answer um, anxiety has always been my fuel um, uh, it, it has been what what drives me my whole life and 90% of my days Right now, are incredible, and I I, I love what I do. I, I love having time to to spend with my kids and my wife, and um, really build our life here in New Hampshire. But the the ten percent of the time uh, is just self doubt and like, oh my God, what am I gonna do? And it's been difficult. Um, th- that th- those days, you, you, I don't want to say they're dark because life's great, but but I sort of go deep into the depths of my mind and think like I got to figure out something to do. And it's been harder, harder than I, than I thought it would. Um, I, I, I did want to take the year off and sort of hopefully find a passion. And, um, I ended up with two jobs sort of part-time and, uh, I'm still trying to figure out what to do. Um, I, I I I applied for and was accepted to a program at the Dartmouth Business School. It's called Tuck. And the program's called Next Step, and it's for former military and former elite athletes. And that was supposed to be this spring, but coronavirus um, canceled that. Um, so it's, I, I deferred until next spring, um, and I was hoping that th- that program sort of designed for exactly what what we're doing. What I'm doing and taking that next step, but um, I have not done yet that yet, and I'm trying to figure that out, Matt. It's been it's been harder than I thought, and um, that's where I'm at. Have you talked did, to? Oh, sorry,
0: I'm go sorry, ahead, Matt. I... Yeah, just as a follow up, have you discussed this with others who have recently uh, retired, or maybe even a little bit before you, like you know, colleagues and friends from the NHL that have gone through the same thing?
4: Um, I, I have, and it it is a it's a I don't want to say it's a problem, but it it is it is very difficult uh, for a lot of guys. A lot of guys don't know what to do. Um, we, I spent my whole life trying to do what I did, and it was I, I wouldn't change anything. It was it was perfect. It was incredible. I was so lucky to do it. But um, I'm 35 years old and what, what am I going to do for the next third? So, um, I, I don't feel sorry for me. Like life is great. Uh, I'm, I'm super happy. I don't want to turn this into that, but, um, it, it is, a uh, it, it is something that guys do struggle with and they're trying, everybody's trying to figure out what to do. Um, luckily, um, we were, compensated very well. And uh, I have the time and the, the resources to to figure out exactly how I'm going to spend my days. So don't worry about me. Um, but I do appreciate the question.
1: I feel like we, we never worry about you, Ben, just because you've always been so uh, welcoming with your time and, you know, speaking to you, you know, for me anyways, when I joined the New Jersey Devils, you know, you were one of the first people who came up to me and asked me about me, who was I? And it was, I was so appreciative of how you treated everyone in the locker room. It meant a lot to, especially someone like me coming in new. Um, Have you ever used a cliche in answering a question before? (laughs) Because for me, whenever I needed a quote, like a a really solid introspective quote, Ben Lovejoy was my guy.
4: (laughs) Um, I, I was very lucky. My parents were teachers back uh, a long time ago. Uh, and they sent me to some very good schools and I remember ninth grade English. Um, we had, uh, I had a, a stickler of a teacher at Deerfield Academy and we were not allowed to speak or write in cliches. And I, I, I promise you, I did not know what a cliche was at this point. Um, but she explained or she explained it very thoroughly and we weren't allowed to. So I, I stopped. Um, I, my, my, my parents um, put a lot of money into my education and I, I tried to pay attention at least a little bit. Can we give her a shout out, your teacher at Deerfield? Um, I, I,
0: it was Mrs. Henry. Well, Mrs. Henry, you, you, you did good. I know that's not proper English. I did good, with- <laughs> and, and not, right. not just for
1: not just for Ben, <laughs> but for anyone who's ever interviewed Ben. I mean, but but like I said, just I, I I wanted to make sure I told you that I'm so appreciative of how you treated me and welcomed me because it's not every day you know you walk into a locker room and you know the athlete asks the reporter about who they are and what they like to do and where they're from and it means a lot, especially as someone who is joining a team. And I think that just speaks to the type of character that you have and what you really brought to a locker room off the ice as well.
4: Well, thank you. Um, I, 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 I agree. I would, I would try to go out, uh, as much as I can to, I believe that a hockey organization, um, needs to be a family and one of the things that I, I know ultimately things didn't work out for Ray um, in in New Jersey, but one of the things that I think he did such a great job of is is building the whole organization in, into a family. And when he when he called July first, um, that was one of the things that that he really talked about um, that that he wanted to build New Jersey not not into what Pittsburgh was, but to bring in really good people, um, both on the ice and in behind the scenes. And I really feel like um, while the success never materialized on the ice, he was able to build um, behind the scenes, uh, the New Jersey Devils into a pretty special place. And um, that was one of the things that, that he spoke to me about when I arrived and uh, something that I, I really think that, that he focused on. Do you stay in contact with him? I do. I text Matt. I text with Ray. Um, I, I I was with Ray for five and a half years in Pittsburgh and then um, the three years in New Jersey. And um, he he was a very special man for me. Um, he traded me away um, in Pittsburgh. And I was young. He, he could have discarded me very, very easily. And... He he really took care of me on the way out, and I one of the things that that will always stick with me. Um, he sent my dad after he traded me. He sent my dad a very nice email, just sort of thanking me and him for for my contribution. And and I, again, I was a nobody at this point, um, and he he went out of his way to to make people feel special and. Um, i'm I'm really bummed that that things ultimately didn't work out in New Jersey, but I do believe that for the next 10 and 15, ten or 15 years, um, the the devils will reap the re- reap the rewards of having Ray be involved for for the time he was.
1: What's your favorite memory of being a hockey player other than like the obvious?
4: <laughs> well um, it's It's winning the Stanley Cup, but that's an easy easy answer and um, my favorite memory uh, as a hockey player was finding my children and my wife and my, my parents right after we won the Stanley Cup and getting them down on the ice um, it it as a hockey player um, if you're going to have any success you're going to have um, people in your life that, that make that would go above and beyond to get you where you are, uh, youth coaches, um, uh, your your agent, your your friends, your family, um, and and my uh, all I wanted to do was was find my kids. Um, they they flew six hours that day. Um, the game was at it was at five o'clock um, Pacific time, so they were they they were already up past their bedtime. Um, and then they stuck around for a game and a celebration and they were zombies on the ice. But just grabbing them and, uh, and, and carrying them around, just sort of uh, droopy-eyed was was my favorite memory as a, an NHL player.
0: Well, that's awesome. That's something that you'll take with you forever. Ben, it's been great spending time with you. I think we could touch upon a bunch of other things. I, next time we talk, I got to find out, in a competitive family, because your dad played hockey, your mom's a two-time lacrosse All-American in UMass. She's in the Hall of Fame. Your wife played sports in, at Dartmouth. You were in the NHL. Your brothers played. Like, when everybody gets together... Sounds like
1: a scary family dinner. And
0: <laughs> the card games or the uh, ping-pong games, I imagine, could get pretty
4: darn intense. Um, You'd be surprised. Um, I, I think we're all... I think we all have enough self-confidence that nobody really cares. Um, it's it's not it's not a testosterone fest where everybody needs to to compare uh, what they did. Um, I, I think that I got a brother that lives in LA and a brother that lives in New York City, and I think when we get together, um, it's just special. It's not it's not giving each other a hard time. It's not competing. Um, I mean, first of all, they know I'm the best, so. <laughs> <laughs> so it's easy for you, Ben. It's totally easy for you. <laughs> so, um, it, it, it is not, it's not the competitive situation that you think it would be. Um, I, I think that, um, we all are sort of confident with what we did and, um, are just excited to be together. So, sorry, Maddie. No, that's,
0: that's great. That's. Actually, as it as it should be. Yeah, we don't spend enough time together as family just because of time and distance. And so why waste it uh, fighting over who uh, had the best hand or who won the ping pong game? Anyway, Ben, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure.
4: My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, guys. So an interesting
0: transition for both Drew Stafford and Ben Lovejoy, Amanda, to retired life. It is probably the most difficult transition any player has to make. But it seems like they're doing okay with it, but they did admit there were some struggles and are some struggles.
1: Well, it has to be, right, Matt? Because hockey is what they've known all their lives. You know, you're you're put on skates, you know, before you're five years old when you're two or, you know, sometimes even one if you can walk at that point. And then all of a sudden in your early to mid thirties, you know, it disappears like that. And, you know, you have to consider there's more years ahead of you. Than there are behind you in a sense, mm-hmm. so you've really got a plan, and it seems like they both really have themselves um, in that discovery process.
0: And there's no Pete Albeats that they can call anymore <laughs> to say, "Hey, what time? <laughs> how do is the I bus do this? Uh, How do I get this done?" I think, I although like- I wouldn't be surprised,
1: America. Maddie, if. Pete does still get those calls.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He might. And knowing Pete, he would try to help them out. Well, I can basically say without fear of contradiction that when those two guys were playing and they were being scouted and determinations were being made, were they draft worthy or not? And Drew Stafford was first rounder. Ben Lovejoy uh, became an undrafted player who had a great career. That there wasn't a woman in the stands marking down whether or not they had those qualities, as we welcome to our podcast, Catherine Bogart, who was our community podcaster and content producer and provider. And Catherine, I think that that's probably accurate. It was mostly a men's world back then, <laughs> but it's rapidly changing, isn't it?
5: It's rapidly changing. We're seeing scouts with a couple different NHL teams now. And then we actually are seeing our first scout who is a woman in the OHL Her name is Kiana Scott and she is our podcast host or guest rather for this edition of the Community Podcast.
0: So let's listen in.
5: Welcome in Kiana. Thank you so much for joining us today on Speak of the Devils.
3: Yes, thanks for having me, Catherine. It's a pleasure. You are
5: quite a historical figure in the OHL scene. You are the first female scout in the Ontario Hockey League. But before we get to that historic moment, how did you first get involved in scouting? And where did this journey start?
3: Yeah, so I grew up playing hockey my whole life and fell in love with the sport and always knew I wanted a career in hockey, but didn't know what exactly. And I uh, started researching about scouting. I um, actually went to college for something totally different. And every day I'd be on my phone like, how to be a scout? And I started doing showcase and training camps and started there. And then I later went into ISS hockey for two years um, with a mentorship program, and now I'm here with Erie.
5: And how were you first connected with the Erie Otters, and how did that job come about?
3: Yeah, so it's funny because they actually kind of scouted. Um, I was on one of my weekends, and I went to three different rinks, three different games, and they saw me at all three, and they're like, "Hey, who is this girl?" And you know. why is she at the ring? Like who's she scouting for? And they kind of, you know, got my contact and we had an interview and they went over my reports and everything. And they're like, I want to give you a chance because saw me working hard and yeah, they want to be on their team.
5: I love that. For you as a scout, for those who are not familiar with the day-to-day of what it takes to be a scout, what goes into the job, especially during a hockey season?
3: Um, so I've just got with my first team, so that's gonna be a little bit different. Um, but a typical day in a scout, um, it's a lot of work for sure. Uh, I pretty much live at the rink in the winters. <laughs> I'm there probably four or five times a week. Uh, I get my reports or my game sheets ready at the beginning of the day. Uh, travel to the rink, I'm usually there before warm up. I usually just listen to my headphones, um, really focus and evaluate the players and then after write reports. Uh, for tournaments, it's um, usually three days, and you're there from seven a.m. till almost eleven and twelve at night. So it's long days, a lot of work, but it's it's worth it every minute.
5: With every different job in hockey, everyone views the game differently. A coach will view it differently than a broadcaster and a broadcaster will view it differently than a scout. So from your perspective, how do you watch these games and what are the things that you really focus on when you are observing a player or entire teams
3: at a whole? Uh, we observe a lot of little things. Um, main ones, obviously, skating, stick handling, um, hockey sense. There's a lot of little things. We look at, as a scout, also character. Um, that's a big one for me, and I know it's a big one for my team as well. And we look at players' character on the ice and off the ice. Um, so that's a big one in, in hockey terms for sure.
5: For someone who's considering a career in scouting, or someone who really is just so passionate about the game, and not necessarily storytelling it as a broadcaster, or not necessarily controlling it as a coach, how would you suggest that they figure out or learn how to be a scout?
3: Um, so as I learned, there's no specific path to become a scout. Uh, some are ex-NHLers, some went to university and college hockey and became scouts afterwards. And I know some scouts that actually don't even play hockey um, and never have. So it's it's different for everyone. Just um, finding a scout that you can shadow and learn from. Uh, internships, that's how I started out. A lot of volunteering before you actually get uh, paid to be a scout. Um, It's a lot of hard work behind the scenes and connections. Always build those connections
5: up. For those who are looking at the career of scouting and they look back to maybe twenty years ago, how do you feel that scouting has changed as the game has developed and gotten quicker and more skilled?
3: That is very true. I think the game has changed a lot. The game is definitely quicker than it was before. And I think uh, analytics plays a big part in scouting now. Um, They go really in depth with analytics. And um, I think hockey sense is just a huge one. Like if you don't have it, um, then you're not going to really succeed in the big leagues. For
5: you, when you look back at your career so far, you've had so many opportunities. What have been some of your favorite achievements to date?
3: Uh, Yes, thank you. I've had a lot of um, little achievements um, and it took a lot of hard work to get where I am today. So every little step is an achievement for me. Um, Obviously, being with the Erie Otters and getting hired with them, I'm very blessed. Um, The first draft with them was amazing. I could really see that I fit in with the Erie Otters just because we saw the same views on players and um, everyone's been very helpful. Uh, and I also made um, the top 40 under 40 list. So that's a big accomplishment for me. I never thought that I would um, be on the list at 21. So hopefully I'll be on the list uh, for other years as well.
5: We hope so. When you look forward now with your career, what are some of the career checkpoints that you would also like to achieve throughout your lifetime?
3: Um, I have a lot of them actually. One of them being an NHL scout, Um, that's on the top of my list. I've always wanted to be in the NHL. Uh, So that's one. I want to start my own hockey clothing line for professionals in the industry and um, put some of the proceeds to sponsoring young prospects. Uh, So that's something I really want to do. And then I also want to own my own team one day. So, yeah.
5: Well, if you do any and all of those things, I'm sure you'll be on the athletics top 40 under 40 list for years to come. When you think of also the path that got you here and you think of not only breaking the glass ceiling yourself, but creating history, how do you hope that this career and your path so far will help the next generation of women who are trying to get into scouting?
3: Um, I hope that it really does. Um, I never thought I'd be like the first, I always knew I wanted to be in the or the OHL as a scout, but never really thought of being the first female, even though I never really saw any females at the rink scouting. Um, but I hope it breaks the mold for girls that are looking up to me and thinking that it's, you know, it's possible. I never thought that it was possible because I never had like a role model to look up to. I if I can use my platform for good. Um, it's funny because a couple months ago, a female messaged me about scouting and stuff. And I just like happened to post it on my hockey Twitter and it blew up And like a bunch of, um, organizations contacted me asking me if they could give her an opportunity for like internship and stuff. And I was like, so blown away at like how much the hockey world has changed just after like a couple of years, because when I was trying to get in the industry, it was really hard for me. And a lot of people didn't really want to give me the opportunity because I was young, I was female. Um, It wasn't really heard of back when I was starting. So I'm glad that she has the opportunity now to learn from professionals and, you know, given that chance.
5: What were some of those struggles that you went through earlier on your career trying to get these first looks? And how were you able to not only rise above it, but learn how you can teach the next generation to rise above those hurdles as well?
3: Mm hmm. Um, so I started in the industry when I was about 13 years old as like a game stay intern. So I've been in the industry for a while, just only scouting uh, for the past two to three years. Um, I think the first time I ever told someone that I wanted to become a scout, they just said, you, know, you should pick something more realistic. And I thought to myself, like, it's when I look in the mirror, like I see a scout, like, and people always say, you don't really look like a scout that's all I see and I think that's what always motivated me um, you know to rise above it all because in my mind I knew it was possible and I think females have like a different touch with certain things and we can bring a lot to the table um for all the females that are looking to get into the industry and especially scouting obviously it's going to be hard um my dad sat me down when I told him you know I want to be a scout dad and he said you know this It's a male-dominated industry, and you're gonna have to push hard. And you know, people will tell you no, and I got a lot of no's. But I just kept—I didn't take it for what they were saying, and I just kept going to the rinks day after day. And you know, Erie found me, and it was a miracle that they saw that in me. And you know, more people are getting in the industry and in the NHL as well. We have like three different scouts now in the NHL, so that's amazing.
5: When you see more women involved in sports and hockey over the past 10 years, you see them as broadcasters, as scouts now, as you know, coaches are starting to come up now To What do you see the future of the sport of hockey being with more women in it?
3: Um, I mean, we're one of the sports that were kind of late on that draw, but I'm so glad to see more women in the industry. I think it's gonna bring so much to the game. Uh, so much diversity as well. And I think that it's going to be a better game with women in the industry,
5: to be honest with you. For those women who are looking at the first role models, the first women in certain roles, like yourself, and they dream of being the first as well, what advice do you have for the women, maybe going after the coaching side or going after a side that doesn't have necessarily other women in it yet, What advice from your experiences being the first could you pass along to them?
3: Uh, Being the first, what I did was I just started asking other scouts. So, like, if you want to be a coach, ask a scout or ask a coach to um, just follow them. Like, let them teach you because you can't go in it thinking that you're going to be the best or you're going to know everything. Um, That was the advice I was given. Um, Just go in and learn as much as you can, soak up as much information as you can to be just like them, and never give up. Um, That's one thing I I always told myself is just never give up. I think that's a great answer.
5: Kiana, (laughs) thank you so much for joining us on Speak of the Devils. Congratulations on making history as the first female scout in the OHL. We will look forward to seeing you not only with the Erie but in your future, continuing to pave the path for women in scouting.
3: Thank you so much for having me
0: on. Well, that was a very interesting conversation with a groundbreaker. Catherine, what what was the biggest thing you took out of your conversation with Kiana?
5: I think something that I've seen with a lot of women in sports, and I bet Amanda would agree with this one, is that we all look out for each other. And there's a lot of women who are the ones who are breaking the glass ceiling or the first in their perspective job or field or what have you, but they always are looking out for the next person. And Kiana is a great example of that. She talks a little bit in this interview about how she's helped other women who are interested in scouting. But just in my conversations with her, off the podcast as well. We've become good friends and she's just one of those people that really wants to help make this sport more inclusive for everyone. So it's incredible to see that. And I'm sure Amanda has seen that too in her own career of women who have stepped up to help her as well.
1: Yeah. And I think what's really interesting is that there's maybe this societal notion that like women are catty and don't want to, you know, see the other woman succeed because it's threatening. But for me in this business in particular, that is so male dominated, I haven't experienced that at all when it comes to the women that I've worked with. Um, in fact, like Catherine, you mentioned, I've experienced the complete opposite where the women who are the groundbreakers in our business, they understand who's coming up behind them eventually to pass the baton to and want to make sure that they're set up for success too. For me, that woman was Chantal Maccabay from RDS, who is the first Quebec woman sports broadcaster covers the Montreal Canadiens. And I remember my first time walking into a locker room, I like sought her out because I was so scared. I was nervous. I didn't know what I was doing. And I wasn't sure what her response would be. And she just took me under her wing. And I, I owe a lot of my career and my confidence in my career to Chantal, who you know, help me develop, uh, as a woman in this business. Cause it's different.
5: And Kiana will continue to help pave the way for other women in scouting. And there's a couple other women that she mentions too, um, in her interview, but all of them, the more women that we get in scouting, the more people that we can bring into this sport in their, like in every possible role, right. It shouldn't be, you know, this role is only for men or this role is only for women and not just, men and women, like let's make as inclusive with gender identification as possible. So this is definitely a great step forward. And we were so thankful to have Tiana come talk with us on the community podcast.
0: Well, it has been a fantastic uh, conversation that's been had on this edition of Speak of the Devils. And for those who are keeping score at home, among those who are hosting or co-hosting this one, two women, one (laughs) man, the world is rapidly changing and is changing for the better. We open our arms (laughs) and we become as inclusive as we can. So that will wrap things up. We want to thank Drew Stafford for joining us, Ben Lovejoy and Kiana Scott for Catherine Bogart and Amanda Stein. I'm Matt Lachlan. Thank you so much for your company. It's always appreciated. Until next time, be safe, be well. Bye-bye, everyone.